praise in here for what he still decided to do. Praise that sounds like I didn't deserve it, but God still did it. Praise that sounds like I didn't think I'd be here, but I'm still here. Things that sound like God, they counted me out, but you continue to count me in. Can we just give God a you still did it type of praise in the house this morning? God, I thank you, you still did it. God, I thank you, you still opened the door. God, I thank you, you still brought healing to my friend. God, I thank you that you resurrected the dead places that I myself counted out. I just want to give you a thank you that you still did it type of praise in the house. He still did it. Oh, he still did it. Is that not good news? That he still did it. I don't know about you, but I just feel something with that. He still did it. He still did it. I'm kind of getting the example of how a parent would give something to their child. No, they didn't deserve it, but they still bought it. They still sit them. They still let them. It's almost like God saying, I still gave you access, though you didn't even have the keys. Somehow the door just so happened to just still open. <laughs> he's so faithful. Oh, he's so faithful. He's so faithful. He's so faithful. And he's a God that still, still does it. Still works miracles. Still opens doors. Still heals our body. He's a God that still does it. And I believe that I'm not the only recipient of some he still did it type of open doors and some still did it type of blessings and some still did it type of opportunities. I think that we are all recipients of something that God still did. And we thank him in the house. Before you take your seats, let's give God a hand clap of praise for your leader, Pastor Stevens, and also for his wife, my friend. They are such great examples and standards of what God does when you remain positioned. I really believe that. About a week and a half ago, God gave me a message while I was away in Buffalo and he said, I want you to talk about the reality of not just being used as an example, but when God uses you as the standard. And the difference between God using someone as an example that when we look around the room, there's a whole lot of examples, but only those who remain consistent are the standard. And so you all have been so blessed to be able to have leaders that really represent a standard, that really represent consistency when everything points to making a decision that looks contrary to that truth. You really are a blessed people. Can you again, before you take your seats, give God a hand clap of praise for your leaders? Bless the name of Jesus. Bless his name. You may be seen in the presence of God. Well, it's an honor to be back with you all today. God did some amazing things on yesterday. I mean, he really rocked it out. Ay, ay, ay. He rocked it out in the house. He manifested himself. There were powerful testimonies that came forth. 
and in the environment of hearing what you're not always capable of doing yourself, God has ability of there being a transference of some amazing things. And there were some women who may not have shared their story, but because they were in the environment and the atmosphere of freedom, there was a transference of some things for them. So thank God for being in an environment where God allows you to receive the residual blessings because of someone else's yes. The residual blessings because of someone else's obedience. That's what took place on yesterday. And I was so honored, really, really honored and really humbled to be a part. I said to the women on yesterday, Pastor Sharon could have gotten anyone to come in. And so I feel really, really honored and privileged that you all would send for me from Pittsburgh to come and be a part of the amazing work that God is doing here. I don't take it for granted and I don't take it lightly. I want to share this with you very quickly before we rock it out in the scripture today. As pastor was up here giving announcements, everyone sitting in the section could hear me saying, he's done. He needs to be done. Someone needs to take the mic from him because he was all in my message. I said, don't preach my message anymore. The whole time I'm sitting over there in the seat like, somebody needs to take the mic. Someone needs to take the mic from him. He's all up in my message. And I love how God does things because he gives us these moments where he reminds us that you're not just hearing a word, you're hearing the word, and the word that you're hearing is coming from him. So I'm really excited to tell you the title of the message because if any of you all are friends of mine on social media, you would know that I've literally posted the title of the message about two, three days ago because the Lord had given me what he wanted for me today before he gave me what he wanted me for yesterday. And I put on my Facebook that I was so excited because God had told me that I was to minister on Sunday about moving from a place from torment to travail. And he got up here and began to talk about how if this and that produces this, then you're in the right thing. I said, I need him to sit down. You know, I just really need him to sit down right now because he's getting ready to be all up in my message. And so I come to you today honored and humbled because I believe God has allowed me today to speak to a room of people who understand the reality of what torment has cost them, but has not always understood the value of what torment could create in them. I believe that as we begin to dissect this scripture this morning, what we'll find is that oftentimes we speak to the pain of travail or the pain of torment, but we don't speak to what is produced and what we don't want. And I believe that if I could speak prophetically in the room today to a group of people, not all of you, but at least most of you have and can attest to moments in your life where you have found yourself tormented or tormented by something that you could not have, not recognizing that the lack was going to bring you to a positioning in God that only lack has the ability to do. 
I think that if we are very honest about the matter this morning is that when we look over this year, maybe there have been some things that you did not think would happen the way that they have. But when you look at the reality of what's been produced, you'll recognize that what has been produced has greater value than what it costs you. And I can tell you that the reality of this is so true to what God does throughout Scripture. We recognize that what you sow is always smaller than what you receive. And when we recognize the reality of this, we also must take into consideration that the very thing we experience has the very ability to produce more than what was taken out of us. It's almost like God challenges us and says, I only require a little bit, but the little bit that I require of you, you're going to really feel it. And you're going to really refill it because I need you to be able to see worth and value on what I require of you. You all know the reality that oftentimes you don't really value something the way that you should unless it costs you something. Oh, you know when you buy that new car, people can't eat in your car, people can't do anything in your car, and then within a few months you're eating burgers in the car, french fries are in between the seats, because something about the value starts to wear off after you become comfortable with what is familiar. And I believe that there's something about the working of God that he never wants us to become comfortable or familiar with an experience that has the ability to produce the best in us. That we should always consider what he does in us as an opportunity and a privilege that God would see fit to choose us as a tool and as an example that people may see the reality and the relevance of being just where he wants us. And so, as we're going through this, I'm asking you this morning to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. As we go to 1 Samuel, I'm aware that many of you all have probably heard this account of a woman named Hannah. This woman was tormented by other women who had access and the same right that she did to her husband. But they were able to produce something that Hannah was not able to produce. And in the midst of Hannah being and having the same rights or privileges, there was still something she could not produce. I want to talk about the reality of what happens when God moves you from being tormented to God positioning you to know how to travail. So let's turn our Bibles very quickly to 1 Samuel. I asked my friend, Pastor Sharon, what time do you all usually finish service? Because those who were here on yesterday know that God did some things in an amazing way. And we were here, how long? Uh, six hours or so. Uh, God really rocked it out. And if you're not familiar with that terminology, it's one that I use often. And, and I just mean, let's go before God. Uh, sometimes I say, let's rock it out in prayer. I just mean, let's go before the Lord in prayer. When I say, let's rock it out in the scripture, I'm just saying, let's read the Bible. And when I say, let's rock it out with God, it means let's be partners with the work that he's doing in the moment. Amen? Are you all in 1 Samuel chapter 1? If it's your custom, you can feel free to stand. If it is not, you can remain exactly where you are. 
First uh, Samuel chapter one. Uh, I want to begin. Let's look in verse five and just rock it out. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Can I read that verse to you again as we continue on? It's speaking of her husband Elkanah, or Elkanah. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. I said to you all for this moment, we're discussing going from torment to travail. And in this moment, I want to encourage you that your ears may be open to hear what God is saying, not just in this moment, but what God is saying to you in this season of your life. That you would be open to this moment that is not just a moment because it's another Sunday and you're in another church. But though this is a church that you have frequented or have come to occasionally, God desires to give you a new experience. And I recognize that sometimes we say that we want God to do something new when really God recently spoke to me and said that people don't really want something new. They actually want something refurbished. They want something that looks familiar, but they want it to produce different results without having to pay the cost for what is required for a whole new system. But I really believe in this season that God is saying, if you allow me to show you that what I require of you will not compare to what I give you, you'll stop complaining about what you have to give. And so let's just get that thought in your mind, moving from a place of torment to a place of travail. We know that the word of God is blessed not only in our hearing and our reading, but in the application thereof. And we thank God in advance for how he will speak to us in this moment. Somebody say amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The word of God tells us that there is a scenario where a woman is barren. But it doesn't just say barren, it says that the Lord closed her womb. 
And let me give you a disclaimer in the same way that I did to the women on yesterday because I never want anything to be a distraction and for it to have you not really get everything that God is saying. In 2008, before ever leaving the country, I started to minister with accents. I had never left the country before, but when I would minister, accents would come out and people would ask my family, where is she from? She does not sound like she's from Pittsburgh. My family would say she's from here, but when she ministers, accents come out. I didn't know what God was doing in the moment, but a few weeks later, I found myself praying for a dying woman in a hospital. I had no American dialect for one hour straight. I went to the car and said, God, what is going on? People think I'm joking. They think I'm putting on breakdown what's happening. He said to me in 2008, around April or May, what I'm doing with your voice is reflection of where I'm sending you. And when I'm done with your life, it's not going to matter where you're from because you will be in places of people who have never even heard of Pittsburgh or a Pennsylvania. They don't know if it's a place or a thing. And these voices and these accents, these dialects that come out is reflection of where I'm sending you. Months later, I ended up living in the Virgin Islands. And shortly after that, God took me on an amazing journey of doing a lot of ministry overseas where the dialect and the accents are very similar. But I don't want that to distract you from anything that God is going to do in this moment. I want you to be able to hear adequately. And I want you to be able to hear in a very personal way what God is saying to you. Amen. Because sometimes throughout the message, I'll have people come up to me and say, wow, that was a, a really great message. But all I could think about was where you were from. And so I like to give just a brief disclaimer so that no one is distracted. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we have this situation of a woman who is barren. But the Bible says that she's not just barren, but that the Lord closed her womb. Now, for those who were with me yesterday, understand that I'm not a manuscript preacher and God in his amazing ways just gives me what to say and allows me to reiterate some points. So follow with me today as we rock it out with him, all right? Let me tell you this. The reality of how God works is that whatever he closes, he's closing it with a purpose and an agenda in mind. There are many women throughout the Bible where it says that the women were barren, but it does not describe her barrenness as being a position where God has closed the woman's womb. So I want to first establish for you today as we're rocking it out with God that what God closes, he has an agenda for. What God stops, he has an agenda for. What God delays, he has purpose on it. He does not close something without giving us the ability, I hear you Holy Spirit, to still produce in what looks closed. And so oftentimes while we look at something as a closed situation, God is looking at it as an opportunity to either one, be a miracle where you are producing in an environment that is barren, or two, he is creating it as an opportunity where in that area of you being closed, he will publicly open up something so that people who once knew that it was impossible, they now see the reality of what God can do. And so we must ask ourselves this morning, where do we fit in the equation? Has God closed things because he's trying to create a miracle scenario and he wants to actually still give you the ability to produce in a situation that looks barren? Or is he trying to teach you how to position yourself as if the situation is not closed at all? Because can I tell you that you don't have to look closed. You don't have to look enabled. You don't have to look 
like you aren't able to do certain things because you recognize that the same thing that God can do in months and years is the same thing that God can do at 11.59 with 59 seconds on the clock. That's why it's very important that you don't allow your response to stop your position. I know how I responded, but I still know how to remain positioned. I know what I'm not able to do, Hannah, but I still know who I can get a prayer through. I still know how I can get a prayer through. Could it be the reality that God says to us, I'm just allowing you to experience certain things to see if you'll know how to really position yourself. Can I speak to the young people in here who are under 25 years of age? The good thing about it is that they made a decision that you all would remain in the service today. They felt like there was something that happened yesterday that had the ability to reach you. They believed that if they could just get you all in the right environment, that there's something that could transfer to you, not because you heard it, but because you were in it. And so God has you all in this service today because there is also an area of your life where you've been tormented. Uh, maybe you don't look how you want to look. I didn't look how I wanted to look either. My family knew that I wanted to get a nose job. I was very adamant about plastic surgery because for you all, you recognize that image is an is a, is a important thing. Social media is an important thing. And if you are honest about the matter, you will take 10 pictures before you post one just based on who you think will like what you've posted. You don't have to agree with me because I know it's accurate and I know it's true. Uh, I know the reality that there is a phenomenon going on right now within social media where there are people who can have zero education with no experience doing anything, but because they have followers and subscriptions, they're millionaires. Not because there's anything they've really accomplished, but because they built a lifestyle that people want to watch. And can I say to you all young people that is very, very important to not live a life that is built around people watching you, but it's not worth people imitating you? Can, can I tell you that there's really something seriously wrong when the pictures that you post become more important than the life you live? And so Hannah found herself in that. And you may say as young people, how do I fit in Hannah's story? I'm not a married woman or a married man having to encourage my wife or a married woman praying to the Lord to do something. But you are in a situation in your life, whatever season you may be in, asking God to do something that has not yet happened. All of us in this room have a request in mind that reflects what we do not have. In fact, if we're honest, the whole reason of giving a request is because there's something you do not have. You're not asking for what you do have. You're asking for what you don't. So all of us sitting in this room are like Hannah. Men, you are like Hannah. Women, you are like Hannah. But I want to ask you the question, are you like Hannah in the torment 
or are you like Hannah in the travail? You know how to feel the pain of what you don't have and what you have not accomplished and who you didn't be and the grades that you did not make and the promotion that was again passed over you and the child that you just could not pray through. But somehow you lost sight of how to position yourself in a place that produces a sound that reflects a birthing. Let's talk about it for a moment. The Bible says that after Hannah became severely provoked or tormented, that it led her to a place of prayer and petition before the Lord. Uh, point number one, the reality of what God is doing in us has everything to do not with what we experience, but how we respond in the experience. In other words, God wants to do more in you responding the right way than you just surrendering to the experience. Because you can, ex you, you can uh, uh, surrender to an experience but it does not mean that you have responded the right way or positioned yourself the right way. In other words, it, it's more like giving up to the reality that you can't change anything instead of positioning yourself in authority. What God is trying to do in us has not a whole lot to do with what you went through and what your story is and what God brought you through. The testimony is the response that came out of what you went through. The testimony isn't the experience. The testimony isn't the fact that she ended up being blessed with a son. The testimony is she was praying and producing results through travail before she had the results of what she asked for. This is the same way that God challenges us daily and asks us the question, do you know how to produce when everything around you looks dead? Do you know how to position yourself that you may be able to be in a position that looks like lack and limitation and poverty and, and things just not looking how you want them to look, but you know that your posture before the Lord has the ability to not just change your condition, but change your response. I really believe in this season that God is not just looking for a surrender, I can't help where I am, but he's looking for a sound. A sound that resembles hope. A sound that resembles, I don't know how God's going to do it. And if I'm honest, I don't know if he will, but it will not change my response to the reality that I know he's able. My response doesn't have to look like it's done. God is only looking for my response to look like he's able. Uh, what did we say on last yesterday, ladies? I said to you that God spoke to me and said that faith was not a result. That faith was a position and a posture that you take in a matter. That God is not going to ask you, did it work out the way you thought? He's going to ask you, did you believe I was capable of doing it? But did you believe, Hannah? Did you believe that there was an exchange that could happen when you prayed? The real miracle is that Hannah believed that there could be a spiritual exchange.
stage before there was a physical manifestation. She believed that if I can get the attention of God, believing that my position with God gives me the right to speak something to God and for him to hear me, that then something may actually happen. Not because I just said it, but because I positioned myself for it, because I believed it was possible, because I trusted the reality of what God could do. So we said, number one, that the reality of, of what we're experiencing really has little to do with the experience, but how we respond. Does our response look like we've already come out? Does our response look like though I was tormented, torment doesn't have to be a bad thing if it changes my position to travailing towards what I do not have. It's almost like God saying, I will allow the torment if it will teach you how to pray. I'll allow the torment if it will teach you how to give. I'll allow the torment if it will teach you how to be humble. I will allow the torment if it teach you how to stay put. I will allow the torment if you learn how to produce in it. I don't require or allow torment for no reason. I am a God that has an agenda for everything. There's at least 10 of you all in the room who have been asking God, why did I have to go through it like that? There's at least 10 of you. Why did I have to learn it like that? Why did I have to experience it like that? And I hear God say it's because it's only that that would show you how to actually travail. Now that doesn't make sense unless we talk for a moment about what does travail mean. Travail is not just something you do. It's a sound that indicates something that's happening on the inside of you. It's a sound that's being produced that you can't even stop because it speaks to what's happening in you. More specifically, it speaks to the reality of what a woman gives out audibly when a baby is being produced on the inside of her and it's time for the baby to come out. It's not a sound that's created while you're having fun. Uh, can I stop for a minute and tell you maybe the reason why we're stuck in some things is because we're trying to create sounds that always sound like fun and comfort? And God is saying, if you knew what really is produced in the sound that no one wants to hear, the testimony that people don't want to talk about, the silent closet side door, drawer that stays locked, those sorts of things that you don't want to publicly talk about are the very things that have the ability to produce the best in you. The reality for the young people of the text messages that you delete before someone grabs your phone or the reality that you don't let them swipe to the left or swipe to the right because you know if they swipe a little bit further, there's something that's actually inappropriate. I'm talking about the stuff that you keep hidden and buried and you're glad that it looks dead. That kind of stuff. Uh, the Facebook inboxes that you delete so that you don't even have to have a memory of what you said or what you did. 
are the pictures that you often try to act like you've never posted or shared because there's the 24-hour thing where it automatically gets deleted and you think no one has record of it, but God seemingly finds a way of reminding you that he has not forgotten. I'm talking about the email trails that sometimes come up in politics that get some people in trouble because they thought it was deleted or not found and then it shows up. I'm talking about the stuff that's hidden, buried, and dead. The things that God desires to use because he knows what it will produce in you. And so there's this sound that comes when there's something on the inside of you that you cannot contain. And for the example and the reality that Travail is speaking from the perspective of birthing, let's talk about how we are all called to give life and birth to something. And let's talk about how God uses the very thing we thought we'd never be able to do to position us for what he actually put in us from the very beginning. So everything that we learn to believe that's a lie convinces us to be further and further away from what we're really capable of. You waited too long. You're now not at the right age. It just can't happen for you. That's just not your neighborhood. That's a different league. Whatever it may be, whatever lie it may be, the enemy uses it, making you believe that there's nothing that can be produced in what you don't have. But when we look at Hannah, we look at how her response is getting ready to position her for something different. But the gift, point number two, the gift of torment is the positioning of what travail produces. I didn't say the gift of torment is what you produce. I said the gift of torment is you being able to posture yourself in travail, then preparing to produce. It's that torment is sometimes treated as a tool to teach you how to know how to get out of where you are. Can I tell you how I know it's true? Ask me how. Oh, come on, ask me like you really want to know. Thank you. Be now you begged me, I'll tell you. When or if you have a child, the child will wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I had a bad dream. Or in other words, something disturbed me or tormented me. And for you all, not myself, but for you all as parents, there's something that naturally happens. You take your child, you wrap your arms around the child, more than likely you tell the child you'll be okay. You'll be okay, you are safe with me. You are protected with me. In the same manner, God uses tormenting situations to move us to a place of safety in him. You did not like how uncomfortable it was, but God says, let me give you a sense of safety. Let me remind you that what you were experiencing was not a reality. Because when you look at torment, Torment has everything to do with something or someone having the ability to taunt you in an area that a strength does not lie for you. Torment speaks to weakness. 
Torment speaks to what you don't have. Torment speaks to what you never got. Torment speaks to what you never had. Torment speaks to what you think you'll never be. Torment speaks to inadequacy. And if torment speaks to inadequacy, the only way to fight torment is to begin to remind yourself or have someone else remind you of what is coming against you does not limit the reality of what is already for you. Because what does the parent say? The parent says, don't worry, you're safe with me now. What does that mean? It means that whatever was tormenting you, whatever was taunting you, there is safety in the presence of something that is different from what you're being told. The reality is you can't run from torment if everything around you continues to speak to what you don't have. Torment is actually, uh, found, finds itself breeding itself the more you allow yourself in an environment that speaks to what scares you or brings fear. How do I know it to be true? Parents tell their children often, don't watch those scary movies at night. Because the more you watch it, the more a spirit of fear is breeded on the inside of you or grows or is duplicated or it expands. And so in that same manner, what, oh God, what Hannah had to do was remove herself from the sound of torment and position herself in a sound of prayer and praise. She recognized that the only way to get away from torment physically was removing herself. But the only way to get away from torment spiritually was positioning herself in a different presence. God says to us, can you come out of what is taunting you or are you willing to come out of what is taunting you by going into something that can help you? Something that can move you forward. Something that can progress you. If everyone around you is all doing the same thing, then surely you won't progress beyond who you hang around. Surely you won't have more than the person next to you. I said to the women on yesterday, I want to hang around people who make six figures. I want to hang around people who do things that I don't do. I want to learn how did you do it? How did you maintain that? What did you stop buying in order to save the way that you did? It's not a matter of confidence. Competition, it's a matter of learning from what someone is able to do that you just don't know how. But we're not humble enough to say you are able to accomplish results in a way that I have not. But Hannah didn't have anyone to bounce her thoughts off of. So all Hannah had to do or was able to do was to go before the Lord herself. What brings us to this third point. Torment is not a bad thing if it teaches you how to be sustained in God by yourself. We touched on it yesterday. We often use intercessors as our personal psychics because we don't have enough confidence in our ability to trust that God is actually speaking to you too. That you don't always need someone to pray for you on their behalf because you are able to have confidence to pray on your own. 
God was bringing Hannah to a place of being tormented in the company of a woman to being honored in the company of God because the Bible says that even in her not being able to produce children, the Bible says that her husband gave her double portion because he loved her so much. You're not able to produce, but the love that I have for you gives me the desire to want to give you more. This is the reality of God. Isn't he just like her husband? I know you're not able to produce how you should, but I'm going to give you a double portion anyway. I know you did not tithe the way you should, but I gave you the promotion anyway. I know you didn't really think the cancer was going to leave your body, and you ran around the church when it was gone, not because you're so thankful, but because you're really shocked. I know it wasn't really what you thought, but I'm still going to give you a double portion because I love you. So, torment isn't a bad thing because though it isolates and has the ability to pull you where you need to be when you understand the one who can produce results. Can I say that to you again? Torment is not a bad thing if it leads you to the one who has the ability to produce the results. I know lack is not a comfortable thing. I know hardship is not a comfortable thing. We talked on yesterday, many women shared their stories of divorce, children, circumstances. These things were not easy to listen to. But imagine how hard they were to experience. But somehow in the midst of these women sharing their experience, as Pastor Sharon said, they didn't share it from the perspective of what they went through, but through the experience of what they came out of. You see, going through something isn't so bad if you recognize that it's not a forever situation. But sometimes we think that what we're going through is forever. What we're experiencing is forever. And we forget that who wasn't the person's first choice today can easily be on everyone's top list tomorrow. Uh, someone who was undiscovered today could easily be the person who makes a billboard chart tomorrow. A few days ago, the young people are probably aware of this, more so than those who are in a different age category. Uh, Chance the Rapper recently got on social media. Do you all know what I'm going to say? Raise your hand under 25 if you know what I'm going to talk about. Under 25. Okay, so everyone under 25 didn't raise their hand. Anyone who's over 25 who knows what I'm going to talk about concerning Chance the Rapper, thank you very much. Chance the Rapper recently went on social media and he did a Bible study for about an hour and a half, two hours on the book of Galatians. He publicly declared that he was walking away from rapping to take a sabbatical to learn God's word. There were a minimum of 5,000 people at one time who tuned into him doing Bible study. Not because they think he's a great preacher, prayer warrior, or Christian. But because his decision in the moment looked different than his career, they said, let me listen to what he's producing. And the truth is, there is an ability to bring forth godly influence 
when you change the stature or the status of what you normally do and position yourself for something that God is asking you to do. Influence doesn't have a whole lot to do with what your name is and, and who you are. It has to do with people valuing your opinion. Everyone doesn't think Oprah's so amazing, but they value her opinion. Everyone doesn't want Oprah to come to the house. Well, many people do. Uh, but, <laughs> but the reality is her name has value. Not necessarily her lifestyle. Not necessarily what she does day to day. We don't know what she does day to day. We don't know what she does in the mornings. We don't know how often she showers, if she takes a shower at night and then doesn't do it in the morning. We don't know. But we give value to who she is because we've given weight to her opinion. And so Chance the Rapper came on social media knowing there is weight to my opinion. And there are people who will watch me who won't watch the person in their church. So let me take a stance and do something that has the ability to not cause people to like me, but cause people to follow him. What happens when God says to you, everyone's not going to agree with you, but some people are going to change as a result of you. Everyone's not going to want to hang around you, but there are people who are going to make decisions because of you. Everyone's not going to sow into you, but there are going to be people who choose to sow into somebody because your story changed them. Sometimes it's not about the immediate result, it's about the residual result. You know the result that you don't always get right away. You know the residuals of the things that you forgot about that you sowed into. God was saying... I remember how you positioned yourself, Hannah. Because what did she say? God, remember me. Remember me. Can many of us say, God, remember me? Remember when I listened and I didn't want to? Remember when I gave and I didn't really have Remember when I stayed and everyone told me to leave? Remember when I did the extra mile and it didn't seem like an extra mile to me? It seemed like bare minimum. God, do you remember? Because she knew that where she was was not because of her doing. The Bible says God closed her womb. That everything you're experiencing isn't because of what you've done but because of what God wants to do. Everything that you're going through right now in this moment, though it may not be comfortable, is not because you've done something wrong, but it's because God is trying to push you to something right. And it's only in the discomfort that you will get to that because it shows you how to create a sound. God is after the sound. God is after the response that looks like a result before you see it. God, God is after that, that moment in our life where we're able to say, God, I don't even know 
how you're going to do it. I don't even know if you would do it. But God, I know that you're able to do it. So I want my response to go in the direction of what God is able to do instead of the direction of what it looks like. God, can you give me a response that knows how to speak to torment? Can you give me a response that knows how to speak to limitation? Can you give me a response that knows how to speak to the people who will never look my way? God, can you give me a response to get favor knowing now, based on yesterday, that favor does not always look like a great thing. Favor often looks like ridicule if you're a young girl named Mary. Favor often looks like gossip your whole life if you're a young girl like Mary. But the angel came to her and said she was highly favored. But nothing about her life would have looked like what we define as favor. So it's calling us to this place of saying to God, even, oh God, I hear you. Even if I don't know what I'm really asking for, I position myself knowing that who I'm asking for it from will only produce good results. So even if I don't know this blessing is going to come with a storm, I don't know if this opportunity is going to come with coworkers who don't like me, I don't know if this opportunity is going to come with a low pay rate, I don't know, but I recognize that the one who I am praying to will always position me to not have less than where I am, but have more. So for the last few minutes that we have together before we rock it out in prayer, let's look at this scripture again, because I really want you to understand that this concept of torment or being severely provoked is a really big deal. And it's not just a big deal as we read it concerning Hannah's situation. It's also a big deal within our young people's lives. There are more suicides the past 10 years with the influx of social media usage than what there has ever been in history. Because we now live in a society where everyone's opinion matters. People you never met their opinion matters. People who won't even know how to pick you out of a crowd, their opinion matters. And then we have the reality of nowadays, we feel like we need to respond to everybody's opinion. So now I'm affected by someone who doesn't know me. It's one thing to be affected by people you really love and, and their opinion really matters to you, but nowadays everybody's opinion matters. Everybody has something to say, and every time they have something to say, you have something to say back because now they have significance, though you've never met them. That's the society we live in today. But I want to close with going back to this scripture, talking about how God, oh, thank you, Father, how he uses our enemies We talk about him preparing a table in the presence of our enemies and we talk about that if we're honest be honest with me we talk about that from a context of pride we really do 
He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. What we're really saying is I'm so happy that God allowed me to progress and all my enemies have to sit at the table and watch because I'm now better than what you thought I was going to be. And I get the chance to gloat now because now you're sitting where I was once sitting, but now I'm the one standing, you're the one watching. That's really what we're saying. And we don't want to be honest about it, but that's really how we use that scripture. We never really use the scripture from the perspective of the enemy being at the same table as you. Meaning that they were wrong as wrong could be, but they're still at the same table. Let's talk about how they're still at the table. They still have a seat at the table. We never talk about that. We talk about they were by a table, uh, you know, in the presence of my enemies. Well, let's talk about how they still have a seat. Wrong, evil, indifferent, inadequate, not loving Jesus, and they still have a seat at the table that you're present at. Saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, they're at the table too. And the bigger reality that we don't talk about with that scripture is what does our response look like when you find yourself at the same table as your enemy who you thought wouldn't get as far as they did because of what they did. But they're at the table as well. Uh, but that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to go back to this scripture. And I want to talk about how the enemy was able to produce a result. I hear you, Holy Spirit. Write this down. Young people, write it down. You look a little sleepy. Huh? You look a little sleepy. I know you're not so sleepy. It's noon. Wake up. Put it in your phone. I know you have cell phone. I don't see anyone's hand moving. Come on. I know you have a cell phone. This is a really good note. I want you to write it down. I'm not into, uh, entertaining you, you know. I'm here because I really believe God has something for you. And I'm just really honored that he decided to use me to be a part of it. I mean, he could have had so many other people. Your leaders could have brought so many other people in. All right, we have our phones. We have our paper. The enemy can produce more results than your friend. Just write it down. Your enemy can produce more results for you than your friends. This is why when Jesus was picking his disciples, he didn't pick those who had these great track records. He, he didn't pick those who he knew were living a life of perfection. He purposely chose people who he knew had a story that would speak eventually to redemption. Their story didn't initially look one way, but eventually it was going to be a part of a bigger picture called redemption. There was a, a disciple he had, and, and that disciple's name was Judas. And we're going to rock it out just for a moment with this. We're going to read the scripture about her response to um, the other wife who was not able to produce what was produced in that. We'll stand up and pray, rock it out, and God's going to do what he's going to do in your hearts and in your mind. Amen? Jesus had a disciple named Judas. Everyone knew that Judas had a money problem and that he was not integral. Jesus also knew this truth. Jesus did not just give, oh God, 
Jesus did not just give Judas a role. He gave him a role that spoke to his weakness. Usually, corporate America, church world, you give a person a role according to their strength. In fact, we use the phrase, staff your weaknesses. It's okay if you're not good at it, but someone in your circle needs to be great at it. You don't have to learn how to do it. Just get someone in your circle who already is great at it, and you focus on what you're good at, right? So Jesus says, oh, God, this is so amazing. Thank you, Father. Jesus says, let me go grab Judas. And instead of giving Judas a different role, I'm going to give him the very role that is a weak area for him. I'm going to give him the role that is a weak area for him because I'm Jesus and I don't even have weaknesses that need to be staffed. So I'm not really giving people roles to do what I can't because I'm Jesus. I'm just giving you a position to teach you how to function in who you are, not function in what I need you to be because I'm Jesus and I actually don't really need your role. So Jesus had confidence in Judas because in the confines of what Jesus created, there really wasn't a weakness to staff. There was a position to fill. And sometimes we are so caught up on a weakness that we don't realize that we're feeding or are filling the hole of a weakness without ever filling the hole of the position. So a person's good in one area, but the totality of what they're able to do, they really can't do it because you were only looking at the weakness that you couldn't do. You weren't really focused on what really needed to be pictured. So Jesus said, I'm trying to paint a picture for you. And the picture that I'm trying to paint is the reality that I will choose a person to function in their weakness to prove that even in weakness, results can still be produced. And so there's this enemy that Hannah continues to be severely provoked by. But the word provoke is actually a word that speaks to movement. So what the scripture is actually saying is that her enemy got her to a place to know how to move. Not to stay in sorrow, but to move. And this woman was her enemy. Let's read it. Young people, I know you have Bible apps. If you don't have your Bible app, download a Bible app real quick. We have about five minutes before prayer. You're still looking at me. Does that mean you have a Bible app already? Okay, let's get our Bible apps. You need the Bible. You need it. You need it. You need it. You're on Boss Up. You're on TMZ. You need to be on the Bible. You could have it. It's a free app. Let's have it. You may not even open the application often, but have it. Because when you need it, you're going to have access to it to use it. Don't wait till you need it. Have it when you think you don't. Let's get it. Let's get the Bible app. Okay. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel. All right? Uh, let's look at 5 and 6. But to Hannah, speaking of her husband, he would give her a double portion, but he, for he loved Hannah although the Lord had closed her womb. But look at six, it says her rival also provoked her severely 
to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Your enemy serves the purpose of reminding you of what you're not capable of, but pushing you to what you have the capacity for. Let me say it to you again. I just want to give it to you as God is giving it to me. Your enemy has the ability to remind you of what you don't have, to vex you in the area of what you can't get, to taunt you in that same desire that you've been longing for. But the enemy also has the ability to push you to the reality of what you have the capacity to get. And not as it relates to what you lack and the capacity to get what you lack, but the capacity to still progress even if the lack in that area doesn't change. And so here we have God saying through an enemy, I know how to get you going. That's what to severely provoke means. I know how to, I know how to, how do you say, uh, push all of your buttons. I, I know how to get on your last nerve. You know all of these things we say, right? I know how to do that. But what the enemy doesn't know is that the more vexed you become about what you don't have, the more your attention has the ability to move in the direction of what you do. I don't have a child, but I do have a relationship with God. And I know how to move towards him. And though I don't know if I'm moving towards what you're speaking to, I'm moving towards the one who is capable of it. I don't know if as I move, I'm moving closer to what you have or I'm moving closer to what I desire, but I know I'm moving out of what I am and where I am. It was a position thing. It was a matter of not just moving closer to her desire, but moving out of her sorrow. The enemy can be used in a powerful way because the enemy does not just have the ability to cause you to be vexed, upset, uh, irritated, or agitated. Your enemy also gives you the ability to know how to push through what looks like an obstacle. I close with this as we pray. You all have probably seen the movie. I won't tell too much of it because some of you have may not seen it. But I've given reference, pardon me, I gave reference to it last week at another church. The movie is Creed. In this movie, there's a particular scene where though he has the ability to remain the champion, his pride prevents him from preparing the way he should. As a result of that, the results weren't always favorable. And so, though he had the ability to do it, his mindset was functioning in pride, underestimating how much preparation he needed to have in order to get the same results. He had a title, but pride kept him from producing a result. You have the education, but pride will keep you from producing the result. 
You have the marriage, but pride will keep you from actually having fulfillment in the marriage. You have the marriage, but you don't have fulfillment. You have the education, but you don't have the job. You have the opportunity, but you don't have satisfaction in the opportunity because pride robs you of the fulfillment. I hear you, Holy Spirit. There is the only thing that fights against pride in its preparation. Let me tell you again. Pride is only fought against with preparation because pride will tell you you don't need to prepare. Pride will tell you you already got that. Pride will tell you you already want it. Pride will tell you you already got them. Pride will tell you that's already yours. Pride will have you living in this mentality causing you to feel as though preparation is no longer needed. But preparation fights against pride because it says no matter how talented I am or no matter how far I've gotten, I can't stop preparing. For me to stop preparing would be for me to think that I've already reached the lid of who I could become, what I could do, or what my success looks like. So preparation continues to tell me that was good, but it wasn't great. Preparation begins to tell me that was awesome, but you could have done better. Preparation begins to tell me they applauded you, but God still doesn't know you. Preparation begins to tell me, yes, it happened, but it could have happened sooner. Preparation begins to tell me, yes, you did. It, but don't forget you lost it twice already preparation fights against pride and it keeps all things in perspective and if there's anything that I want you to remember about this message it's that the preparation of your whole life was not so that you would not experience anything God does not prepare his sons and daughters in vain. It's like someone preparing for a boxing match, but they never had a fight lined up. It makes no sense for you to prepare for something that you really don't want to experience. Now, the truth is that you don't often know that the preparation that you're having is for what you're experiencing. Because we're taught about, you know, God allowed it to pass over and God let it to not touch you and God let it. No, your life with God has nothing to do with what passed over you. Your relationship with God has everything to do with what God made you feel, made you experience, and made you walk through. Not what he allowed you to escape, but everything that he allowed you to experience. And so it's my prayer that as we went through briefly, just briefly, this touch on Hannah, that you recognize that the enemy cannot rob you of a response if you truly believe that you are who God has called you to be even before you have what you think God has called you to have. I'm still who I am if they don't know my name. I'm still who I am if my book never makes bestseller. I'm still who I am if I never marry. I'm still who I am if I never have children. I'm still who I am if I don't make straight A's. I'm still who I am if I don't do it how you think. I'm still who I am if you don't look how the way you think. You still have to know who you are before the results, not allowing the enemy to rob you of your response. Stand with me all over this place. As I was praying this morning, I said, God, I want you to give me specifically what you want me to pray. Prayer is a really big deal for me. God recently blessed me in an area of, of relationship that I never planned for. And 
really in alignment to the message on yesterday, God gave me something that I didn't ask for and, and something that it wasn't what I really wanted. Because throughout my life, through 30 plus years, I've lived a really content life with God. And I haven't felt like I was in lack. I never felt like I needed anything. And I never felt like there was a significant need to be partnered with someone in marriage because I really feel partnered with God. I take my relationship with God really serious. It's not a game, it's not a joke. My parents were not pastors. I was raised in drug addiction. I learned how to use everything I experienced as a tool to help people understand freedom and to understand the grace of God. I have a really big heart because of where I came from and it was never and has never been in me to ever look down on a person because of where I've come from. And people may see the exterior of me but don't recognize my journey and what God has required of me. And so when God brought an awesome man of God, Mark Walker, along, I didn't know what God was doing, but I say, God, give me a sensitive ear so that when I hear him pray, that I know it's you. We both are ministering. He's in Tennessee preaching right now. I'm here in North Carolina preaching. But I say, God, I know a lot of preachers I know a lot of ministers, I know a lot of people who are great orators and they naturally are persuasive and charismatic. But I said, there's one thing that I know true about how God moves is that prayer cannot be fabricated. That it's a really personal and private thing.